Chapter eighty one, part four of the Adventures of Peregrine Pickle, volume two by Tobias Smollett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eighty one, the Memoirs of a Lady of Quality, part four. It was here that I had occasion to perceive the most disagreeable contrast between my present helpmate and my former lord. Instead of flying to my arms with all the eagerness of love and rapture, this manly representative sat moping in a corner, like a criminal on execution day, and owned he was ashamed to bed with the woman whose hand he had scarce ever touched. I could not help being affected with this pusillanimous behaviour. I remembered Lord W. while I surveyed the object before me, and made such a comparison as filled me with horror and disgust. Nay, to such a degree did my aversion to this phantom prevail, that I began to sweat with anguish at the thought of being subjected to his pleasure, and when, after a long hesitation, he ventured to approach me, I trembled as if I had been exposed to the embraces of a rattlesnake. Nor did the efforts of his love diminish this antipathy. His attempts were like the pawings of an imp sent from hell to seize and torment some guilty wretch, such as are exhibited in some dramatic performance, which I have never seen acted without remembering my wedding night. By such shadowy, unsubstantial, vexious behavior was I tantalized and robbed of my repose, and early next morning I got up with the most sovereign contempt for my bedfellow, who indulged himself in bed till eleven. Having passed a few days in this place, I went home with him to his house at Twickenham, and soon after we were presented at court, when the queen was pleased to say to my lord's mother, she did not doubt that we should be a happy couple, for I had been a good wife to my former husband. Whatever deficiencies I had to complain of in my new spouse, he was not wanting in point of liberality. I was presented with a very fine chariot studded with silver nails, and such a profusion of jewels as furnished a joke to some of my acquaintance, who observed that I was formerly queen of hearts, but now metamorphosed into the queen of diamonds. I now also had an opportunity, which I did not let slip, of paying Lord W.'s debts from my privy purse, and on that score received the thanks of his elder brother, who, though he had undertaken to discharge them, delayed the execution of his purpose longer than I thought they should remain unpaid. This uncommon splendor attracted the eyes and envy of my competitors, who were the more implacable in their resentments, because notwithstanding my marriage, I was as much as ever followed by the men of gallantry and pleasure, among whom it is a constant maxim that a woman never withholds her affections from her husband without an intent to bestow them somewhere else. I never appeared without a train of admirers, and my house in the country was always crowded with gay young men of quality. Among those who cultivated my good graces with the greatest skill and assiduity were the Earl C. and Mr. S., brother to Lord F., the former of whom, in the course of his addresses, treated me with an entertainment of surprising magnificence, disposed into a dinner, supper, and ball, to which I, at his desire, invited eleven ladies, whom he paired with the like number of his own sex, so that the whole company amounted to twenty-four. We were regaled with a most elegant dinner in an apartment which was altogether superb, and served by gentlemen only, 
no livery servant being permitted to come within the door in the afternoon we embarked in two splendid barges being attended by a band of music in a third and enjoyed a delightful evening upon the river till the twilight when we returned and began the ball which was conducted with such order and taste that mirth and good humour prevailed no dissatisfaction appeared except in the countenance of one old maid since married to a son of the duke of hm who though she would not refuse to partake of such an agreeable entertainment was displeased that i should have the honour of inviting her o oh, baleful envy thou self-tormenting fiend how dost thou predominate in all assemblies from the grand gala of a court to the meeting of simple peasants at their harvest home nor is the prevalence of this sordid passion to be wondered at if we consider the weakness pride and vanity of our sex the presence of one favourite man shall poison the enjoyment of a whole company and produce the most rancorous enmity betwixt the closest friends i danced with the master of the ball who employed all the artillery of his eloquence in making love yet i did not listen to his addresses for he was not to my taste though he possessed an agreeable person and a good acquired understanding but he was utterly ignorant of that gentle prevailing art which i afterwards experienced in mr s and which was the only method he could have successfully practised in seducing a young woman like me born with sentiments of honour and trained up in the paths of religion and virtue this young gentleman was indeed absolutely master of those insinuating qualifications which few women of passion and sensibility can resist and had a person every way adapted for profiting by these insidious talents he was well acquainted with the human heart conscious of his own power and capacity and exercised these endowments with unwearied perseverance he was tall and thin of a shape and size perfectly agreeable to my taste with large blue eloquent eyes good teeth and a long head turned to gallantry his behaviour was the standard of politeness and all his advances were conducted with the most profound respect which is the most effectual expedient a man can use against us if he can find means to persuade us that it proceeds from the excess and delicacy of his passion it is no other than a silent compliment by which our accomplishments are continually flattered and pleases in proportion to the supposed understanding of him who pays it by these arts and advantages this consummate politician in love began by degrees to sap the foundation of my conjugal faith he stole imperceptibly into my affection and by dint of opportunity which he well knew how to improve triumphed at last over all his rivals nor was he the only person that disputed my heart with earl c that nobleman was also rivalled by lord c h a scotchman who had been an intimate and relation of my former husband him i would have preferred to most of his competitors and actually coquetted with him for some time but the amour was interrupted by his going to ireland upon which occasion understanding that he was but indifferently provided with money i made him a present of a gold snuff-box in which was enclosed a bank-note a trifling mark of my esteem which he afterwards justified by the most grateful friendly and genteel behaviour and as we corresponded by letters 
I frankly told him that Mr. S. had stepped in and won the palm from all the rest of my admirers. This new favorite's mother and sister, who lived in the neighborhood, were my constant companions, and in consequence of this intimacy, he never let a day pass without paying his respects to me in person. Nay, so ingenious was he in contriving the means of promoting his suit, that whether I rode or walked, went abroad or stayed at home, he was always, of course, one of the party, so that his design seemed to engross his whole vigilance and attention. Thus he studied my disposition, and established himself in my good opinion at the same time. He found my heart was susceptible of every tender impression, and saw that I was not free from the vanity of youth. He had already acquired my friendship and esteem, from which he knew there was a short and easy transition to love. By his penetration choosing proper seasons for the theme, he urged it with such pathetic vows and artful adulation as well might captivate a young woman of my complexion and experience, and circumstanced as I was, with a husband whom I had such reason to despise. Though he thus made an insensible progress in my heart, he did not find my virtue an easy conquest, and I myself was ignorant of the advantage he had gained with regard to my inclinations, until I was convinced of his success by an alarm of jealousy which I one day felt, at seeing him engaged in conversation with another lady. I forthwith recognized this symptom of love, with which I had been formerly acquainted, and trembled at the discovery of my own weakness. I underwent a strange agitation and mixture of contrary sensations. I was pleased with the passion, yet ashamed of avowing it even to my own mind. The rights of a husband, though mine was but a nominal one, occurred to my reflection, and virtue, modesty, and honor forbade me to cherish the guilty flame. When I encouraged these laudable scruples, and resolved to sacrifice my love to duty and reputation, my lord was almost every day employed in writing post to my father with complaints of my conduct, which was hitherto irreproachable, though the greatest grievance which he pretended to have suffered was my refusing to comply with his desire, when he entreated me to lie a whole hour every morning with my neck uncovered, that, by gazing, he might quiet the perturbation of his spirits. From this request you may judge of the man, as well as of the regard I must entertain for his character and disposition. During the whole summer I was besieged by my artful undoer, and in the autumn set out with my lord for Bath, where, by reason of the intimacy that subsisted between our families, we lived in the same house with my lover and his sister, who, with another agreeable young lady, accompanied us in this expedition. By this time Mr. S. had extorted from me a confession of a mutual flame, though I assured him that it should never induce me to give up the valuable possession of an unspotted character and a conscience void of offense. I offered him all the enjoyment he could reap from an unreserved intercourse of souls, abstracted from any sensual consideration. He eagerly embraced the platonic proposal, because he had sagacity enough to foresee the issue of such chimerical contracts, and knew me too well to think he could accomplish his purpose without seeming to acquiesce in my own terms, and cultivating my tenderness under the specious pretext. In consequence of this agreement, we took all opportunities of seeing each other in private, 
and these interviews were spent in mutual protestations of disinterested love this correspondence though dangerous was on my side equally innocent and endearing and many happy hours we passed before my sentiments were discovered at length my lover was taken ill and then my passion burst out beyond the power of concealment my grief and anxiety became so conspicuous in my countenance and my behavior was so indiscreet that everybody in the house perceived the situation of my thoughts and blamed my conduct accordingly certain it is i was extremely imprudent though intentionally innocent i have lain whole nights by my lord who teased and tormented me for that which neither i could give nor he could take and ruminated on the fatal consequences of this unhappy flame until i was worked into a fever of disquiet i saw there was no safety but in flight and often determined to banish myself forever from the sight of this dangerous intruder but my resolution always failed at the approach of day and my desire of seeing him as constantly recurred so far was i from persisting in such commendable determinations that on the eve of our departure from bath i felt the keenest pangs of sorrow at our approaching separation and as we could not enjoy our private interviews at my house in town i promised to visit him at his own apartments after he had sworn by all that's sacred that he would take no sinister advantage of my condescension by presuming upon the opportunities i should give he kept his word for he saw i trusted to it with fear and trembling and perceived that my apprehension was not affected but the natural concern of a young creature distracted between love and duty whom had he alarmed he would never have seen within his doors again instead of pressing me with solicitations in favor of his passion he was more than ever respectful and complaisant so that i found myself disengaged of all restraint conducted the conversation shortened and repeated my visits at my own pleasure till at last i became so accustomed to this communication that his house was as familiar to me as my own having in this manner secured himself in my confidence he resumed the favorite topic of love and warming my imagination by gradual advances on the subject my heart began to pant when he saw me thus moved he snatched the favorable occasion to practice all his eloquence in art i could not resist his energy nor even fly from the temptation that assailed me until he had obtained a promise that he should at our next meeting reap the fruits of his tedious expectation upon this condition i was permitted to retire and blessed heaven for my escape fully determined to continue in the path of virtue i had hitherto trod and stifle the criminal flame by which my peace and reputation were endangered but his idea which reigned in my heart without control soon baffled all these prudent suggestions i saw him again and he reminded me of my promise which i endeavored to evade with affected pleasantry upon which he manifested the utmost displeasure and chagrin shedding some crocodile tears and upbraided me with levity and indifference he observed that he had solicited my favor for ten long months without intermission and imagined i had held out so long on virtuous motives only but now he could plainly perceive that his want of success had been owing to my want of affection and that all my professions were insincere in a word 
he persuaded me that his remonstrances were just and reasonable. I could not see the affliction of a man I loved when I knew it was in my power to remove it, and, rather than forfeit his opinion of my sincerity and love, I consented to his wish. My heart now flutters at the remembrance of the dear though fatal indiscretion, yet I reflect without remorse, and even remember it with pleasure. If I could not avoid the censure of the world, I was resolved to bear it without repining. And sure the guilt, if there was any in my conduct, was but venial. For I considered myself as a person absolved of all matrimonial ties by the insignificance of Lord Hm, who, though a nominal husband, was in fact a mere nonentity. I therefore contracted a new engagement with my lover, to which I resolved to adhere with the most scrupulous fidelity, without the least intention of injuring my lord or his relations. For, had our mutual passion produced any visible effects, I would immediately have renounced and abandoned my husband forever, that the fruit of my love for Mr. S. might not have inherited, to the detriment of the right heir. This was my determination, which I thought just, if not prudent, and for which I have incurred the imputation of folly in the opinion of this wise and honest generation, by whose example and advice I have, since that time, been a little reformed in point of prudentials, though I still retain a strong tendency to return to my primitive way of thinking. When I quitted Mr. S., after the sacrifice I had made, and returned to my own bed, it may perhaps be supposed that I slept but little. True, I was kept awake by the joyful impatience of revisiting my lover. Indeed, I neglected no opportunity of flying to his arms. When Lord M. was in the country, we enjoyed each other's company without interruption. But when he resided in town, our correspondence was limited to stolen interviews, which were unspeakably delicious, as genuine love presided at the entertainment. Such was my happiness in the course of this tender communication, that to this day I remember it with pleasure, though it has cost me dear in the sequel, and was at that time enjoyed at a considerable expense, for I devoted myself so entirely to my lover, who was desirous of engrossing my time and thoughts, that my acquaintance, which was very numerous, justly accused me of neglect, and of consequence cooled in their friendships. But I was all for love or the world well lost, and were the same opportunity to offer, I would act the same conduct over again. End of chapter 81, part 4